Welcome to Automotive Insiders, the podcast series presented by OESA, the Original Equipment Suppliers Association. You'll hear from automotive industry experts on the critical issues that are impacting the mobility landscape. Get actionable insights on how to thrive in Automotive 2.0. Now, here's your Automotive Insiders host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome to Automotive Insiders, presented by OESA. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, your host, and I'm very happy to be here once again with William, he lets me call him Bill Newman, who is the North America Executive Industry Advisor at SAP. Welcome, Bill. And joining us is Mike Lakovic, VP at Capgemini, who currently serves as the North America Market Leader for Automotive Suppliers. Welcome, gentlemen. How are you both? Bill, Mike? Doing great, Bonnie. Good to be with you again. Thank you very much. Mike, how are you? Fantastic, as always. Good. Let's just give a little level setting here for our viewers and listeners. Bill, where are you today? Uh, Today, we continue our work from home and self-quarantine in the state of Michigan. We're very excited that the governor allowed golf courses to open and boats to be put in the water this past weekend. Kind of feel like we hit the lottery. Whoa, you certainly did. Mike Lakovic, where are you and what's new in your state? Charlotte, North Carolina, and Bill, I apologize. We've been golfing this whole time down here. <laughs> and I'm in Durham, and I I know that our governor, I think, is opening a little bit in phase one on the 8th of May. And just so our viewers know and our listeners know, this is April 27, 2020, when I'm speaking with Bill and Mike. So we're continuing a conversation we started a little while ago on coronavirus impacts. This is part two, talking about suppliers, of course, for our OESA audience. And by the way, anybody interested in learning more about OESA, it's OESA.org. And you don't even have to be a member to go to their website and find all of the thought leadership and guidance and wonderful information there from the people at OESA. So Bill Newman, I'm going to start off with you. I have a question. Let's get your POV, your point of view, and then we'll ask Mike to add his two cents or whatever a point of view is worth today. So Bill, question number one. As automotive companies look to go, everybody listen up, hashtag back to work. They'll be leveraging the experience of countries, including China, South Korea, and other markets as their blueprint. Bill, will this be adequate for going back to work? Well, I think we're, we've, we are learning a lot of things. And, and uh, for those listeners who haven't been following the, um, uh, the weekly reports that OESA produces, it's really encouraging to see that little blue piece of the columns in, in China and other uh, APJ countries uh, like South Korea coming on board, you know, working at half, 50, 40, 50, 60% uh, capacity. It's, it's very encouraging. I think that we're seeing some interesting things around um, how workers come to work, how they behave, a little bit of kind of, in a weird sense, unleaning some of the processes I think that's what's going to be different in North America is a couple of things. So first of all, we have we don't have a central governance around when people are going to go back to work. So every state and province are, are kind of gauging when their back to work schedules are, when they're ending their stay at home rules. Um, some some essential workers in the food supply chain inside of automotive have have always been working. 
Uh, but it's going to be a very interesting rolling patchwork of different facilities and different locations um, going back to work. I think the other thing that's going to be unique, at least in Western cultures, is, is our sense of privacy around our personal information. I think we're going to get into that a little bit more in this discussion yes. today. Very interested about that. But how we actually go and, and, and say as, as, a, as an employee, am I, am I willing and ready and comfortable going back to work and going back to work and arguably in many cases in a very different kind of uh, form and fashion with the kind of uh, protective equipment and face masks and things like that. So um, looking forward to exploring that a little bit different, but I don't think that the, the, the China back to work model is going to be enough, at least for Western uh, countries and North America in particular. Thank you, Bill Newman. Mike Lakovic, waiting patiently. Chime in, please. What do you think? No, I agree with Bill. I don't, I don't think that uh, following their model will necessarily be enough for us. I think there are some, uh, some other nuances we're going to have to address. You know, we know that many Asian countries have, over time, become more acclimated culturally, socially, to you know, wearing masks and just sort of being uh, sensitive and aware of these types of conditions. The Western side, we all know this is new for us, wearing masks or even being cautious about how often you wash your hands. And so there clearly will be some kind of an adaptation we'll make. Uh, and I think because of those types of nuances and others, uh, there is going to be a learning curve for us. I don't think we can just jump right back in and try to use the same model that some of our, our Asian countries are. Having said that, uh, on the flip side, we spoke on our, our last, uh, last episode on this. Our industry is very comfortable and very accustomed to health, uh, you know, employee health and safety. And so I think that we will quickly adapt to some of the physical kind of either limitations or adjustments we need to make. Uh, could go so far as to, you know, segregate employee populations between shifts and try to limit, you know, exposure between those. Um, I also think that we've got, and we're going to talk about this as well here as uh, too, we've got some fairly stringent policies, regulations, and laws about worker safety, privacy, and the connections back to our own personal health. There is going to be a dynamic there uh, that will have to get worked out. And so just to echo Bill's point, I don't think we can just use what Asia is doing as a total solution. There's going to be some different nuances for us to address here. Thank you, Mike. And I'm glad you brought up that the industry already has rules about separation of shifts and safety and is very much aware it might be easier for automotive to go back to work than other industries where this is brand new concept and culture change management. We talk about that all the time. Thank you both. Bill, let me start with you again. I have a second question here. Other industries and entities such as state governments are providing clues as to what hashtag back to work means for them. And it is on an individual state basis here in the U.S. For example, the state of Utah has a hashtag test, T-E-S-T, Utah, U-T-A-H. And it's one example. Can you tell us a little bit about that, please, Bill Newman? Yeah, I'd love to. And I think it's a really great, um, it's a really great story about how collaboration in one particular industry can help potentially uh, another. And, and we, through our through uh, Qualtrics, which is an SAP company uh, based in Provo, Utah, uh, they're part of this broad consortium of tech companies called Silicon Slopes. And, and over a month ago, those 
those companies got together and, and partnered with the state of Utah to say, hey, look, we need a way to get a pulse check on the citizens of our state. You know, how are they doing? Are they feeling well? Do they need access to um, a virus testing station? And, and, it, and then based on that, you know, is there a way to kind of get a sense of the, the wellness, if you will, of, of the population? And um, so the Test Utah program came about. Um, it's literally uh, that in, in conjunction with other um, states that have onboarded to a platform to assess, test, and trace um, citizens at a, at a state jurisdiction level. There are literally over hundreds of thousands of people now who have taken on um, what they call the crush the curve challenge. So a little bit of patriotism coming into that. But, you know, how are you doing? How are you feeling? You know, are you taking care of people at home? You know, what are you doing? Are you out of work? You know, do you need help, you know, filing for unemployment? If you're feeling unwell, can we schedule you for an in-car, you know, virus uh, 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 test? And uh, you're issued a QR code. It's anonymized. You show up. You get your you get your test. I mean, keep in mind, this was only you know 30 days ago. Getting a virus, an active virus test, was unheard of. It was very difficult. I know that things are moving really quick, and here we are at the end of April, but, you know, this was happening a month ago, and getting a sense of the population in terms of, you know, how fit they are. We believe that there's a great leverage to repurpose this approach and others um, for, for industries, particularly automotive, where you've got large populations of people going back to work. We believe that it's a risk to assume that your employees are just going to want to show up on day one and they'll be ready to go back to work. There's a whole bunch of reasons why people won't be willing to go back to work or able to go back to work. Illness being one of them, taking care of other people. Maybe there's some psychological or physical trauma that's happened, or maybe they're just done. Just like in the Great Recession, they're going to opt out. So we do think that that's very important information. We're working with companies now to understand what their needs are and how to kind of fit this platform as well as managing some of the information that can be made available out of this platform to companies. Uh, Mike, as you were a bit touching on, and, and perhaps you'll go into a little deeper, um, so that you know people can monitor how, how their workforce and the workforce of their suppliers, by the way, already fit and able and interested uh, emotionally, the X data, the experience data of going back to work operationally or the O data. Very interesting. And, and basically, you're talking about using Utah, Bill, I believe, as a blueprint, which was what we were talking about with the Asian countries. Mike Lakovic, you have been summoned. What is your thought? So, I, you know, relative to this idea of whether it's Utah or a different state, um, Part of the challenge that we're going to have to solve for are going to be all the various different rules and regulations. One, one, one state may have a higher threshold than another. Uh, when we think about the supply chain from in, in, you know, interdependent countries, uh, are there going to be new trade regulations in terms of disinfecting or how we handle some of these new goods? We've never really addressed those types of criteria before. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see if we start to impose some of them, how do we handle disparities or even conflicts between different policies or regulations? So I don't think there is one, uh, certainly not yet. We haven't landed on a common theme or a common practice for how to do this. Uh, I think what we'll ultimately see is the OEs 
uh, working with you know the bigger governments to start to craft some type of general regulations and policies that we can all start to adhere to. Uh, but Bill, going back to your point about employees, whether they're opting out or otherwise, there is going to be some timidity. I'm sure there'll be people that are just downright scared. Uh, we may have employees that have uh, prior health uh, prior health issues that prevent them at all from coming back. What do we do as an industry? What do what, what do companies do? And and, and I, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. Um, there's a certain notion of, of to some degree because of our policies and, and, and privacy laws. Some companies, we will kind of have to depend a little bit on self-disclosure. If someone's been exposed to the virus and they're you know, a friend or family member, are they going to come to work or are they not going to come to work? And if they don't come to work, what's, what are the potential implications? Do they just lose their, you know, lose their money because of that? Or does a company say, hey, even if you self-disclose, we're still going to take care of you because you self-disclosed? Uh, so I think that there's a lot of policy issue that still has to be addressed when we think about people coming back to work. Uh, and I don't know that really many of these things have been defined, at least here in the States, for us. Very interesting. And what we didn't even mention is peer pressure, family pressure, right? Mm-hmm. We talked right. about if you're taking, Bill, you mentioned if you're taking care of somebody at home, you maybe you have kids still out of school, you need to deal with homeschooling where there's nobody to care for them if they're young. But the, the concept of culture pressure, peer pressure, you went back to work. What does that mean when you come home? There's two sides to that. You're home, you're isolated, you're in a controlled environment, and then you go to work. Who else is there? How safe is it? So there's a whole, either one of you want to come in on that before I move on? Well, I think that we are, all of us to some degree, making the assumption that as soon as the government declares us back open for business, it's kind of going you know, back to back to the way things were a bit with some adjustments. Mm-hmm. I think those adjustments are going to be more significant than maybe some of us assume. Uh, and I think there's going to be some fits and starts and, and personnel issues and short ships and supply chain issues for many months to come until we really sort this out. Uh, and, and we would encourage, and we're seeing some of this, but we would encourage, you know, the industrial base be prepared for this. Let's start thinking about small war rooms where when these issues come about, we have an extremely efficient governance process, including HR, legal if necessary, through even to the CEO. If 25 people don't show up for a shift, do you shut the shift down? I mean, there's real implications to figuring out uh, how to do this. And, and, I, and my, the other thought here is not to underestimate the amount of fear that's out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, exactly. It, exactly. It, Fear is, is going to be a big factor. I, I, speaking of fear, let me go to the third point we want to cover. And we've touched on it a little bit. Bill, let me start with you. Um, given the availability and desire of auto workers and the supply chain to go back to work, yes, that's what we all want. We never want to stop in the first place. What are the emerging trends to collect and manage? And here it comes, sensitive personal health information. And what liberties will U.S. and Canadian workers consider exchanging? Mm, what are you willing to give up for the ability to work again or if they don't want to work again? And we've, we've been touching on this, but let's dive a little deeper into it. Bill Newman, why don't you start? Yeah, well, uh, a few things. So first of all, at the outset, we, we do know that there was a little bit of structural overcapacity in terms of finished goods uh, in automotive. Uh, leading into February, it was a very busy month. And, and our understanding is, is that even before the crisis happened, 
there's probably some excess capacity that might suggest that certain plants and certain assembly lines would be normal would be furloughed under normal situations. And I think we touched on that a bit in our in our previous episode. I think when we're looking to uh, to take the test Utah, which now has been deployed in I think uh, three to six states now, to understand how that they collect information, um, you know, one approach and companies will have to determine this would be to work together with health systems organizations to collect the sensitive uh, medical information, conduct the tests, send them to the labs. Uh, make sure that whatever then threshold, you know, whether it's uh, coronavirus free or antibodies or just general wellness, sidebar, I don't think it's going to be appropriate for people to go to work when they're unwell anymore. And I think, we, Mike, you pointed that out earlier, that we're going to begin to behave a bit more like some Asian cultures in that perspective in North America. But taking then that information, that medical information, and distilling it down into um, – uh, in a uh, agnostic type of uh, work certificate, back to work certificate. So, mm-hmm. um, Mike, you're 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 well, and you now have a back to work certificate to go to plant A at at location two, and uh, and just like you were trained on OSHA compliance for that facility or you went through specific training to work on a piece of machinery, you're going to be allowed then to go back to work. And then there's going to be a certain level of managing all of that information that has to transpire as well. Uh, uh, Keeping that information ideally um, desensitized uh, will help companies, you know, avoid kind of these HR conflicts and privacy issues. Um, but I do think that workers will opt in, A, because they're going to want to know that they're well personally because, you know, you can have the virus asymptomatically. And B, I think to your point, Bonnie, people just want to get back to work in a certain sense of normalcy, assuming that their work environment hasn't changed so radically, Mike, as you suggest in some cases will be the case. Um, that they're very uh, interested and fit and ready to go back to work. Thank you, Bill. Mike Lakovic, join us. Thoughts? Yeah, so building off of uh, Bill's commentary, the, the notion of, of collecting or certifying that people are ready to go back to work, we've probably got some policy issues that, that are going to have to be worked through in order for those to be be accomplished. I also look at just the social, uh, sort of the social mores that we all hold dear to ourselves. I mean, as a courtesy to somebody else, if I'm sick, I'm not going to go in, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a fairly, you know, blessed career. Some, some folks might not have the flexibility to say I, I or Bill might have to just quote, not go to work that day. It might be an absolute necessity. You're taking care of someone at home. You can't miss a day of work. Um, and so what do you then do? And I think we're going to see a lot of those, I'll call them micro challenges on an individual basis, shift level basis. Uh, another trend that that I am interested to see how this play out plays out. Are companies liable for cross contamination, and will employees be able to potentially sue their company or a customer or a supplier if somehow they they come in contact with that? Um, I don't know that body of work exists, and so I can imagine that there'll be some you know some some events over the uh, you know the the coming months. If, if we start to see that, and, and if we find that companies can be held liable uh, for cross-contamination, if they didn't have the right policies in place or the right protective measures in place, 
then I really think we'll, we'll start to see some pretty rapid change, uh, some pretty rapid change. You know, the other back to back to work trend um, that I do wonder about is this notion of collecting certifications or or testing to say I, I'm I've, I've proven I'm ready to go back to work. That flips the employee the employee kind of relationship upside down by the employee, you know, having to to check a box in order to come to work. I, I don't I don't I don't know how that's I don't know that's going to work. Uh, and then the final point is. Um, there are labor contracts that will have to be reviewed as well and see what constraints, if any, are in those labor contracts. Um, I can see whole new roles emerging from this, a new role, the sanitation, uh, the, um, the disinfectant, you know, person between shifts, um, PPE rules that, you know, there may be labor contracts that have certain stipulations in there. So that will have to, those are just three trends that I see are going to have to get worked through here pretty rapidly. Thank you, Mike. And when you were speaking about what if people can't come to work because of obligations at home or outside, what if you flip that? What if somebody has to go to work because they need the paycheck? Right. And yep. they will go. And we know they're all heroes. And we may, each one of us have done that. Oh, it's just a cough. I'll sneeze into my arm, whatever. Oh, I was fine. I just because I was up all night, not feeling well. I'm good enough to go to work and I won't sit next to anybody. We all know that with people out of work, that could be an emerging trend, which leads me to our last point here as we'll wrap this up. For those who are actually enjoying working remotely, uh-huh, Bill's smiling. How will hashtag back to work, and that's capital B, capital T, capital W, impact their desire? Maybe they don't want to go to the office. Maybe they don't want to see anybody in person anymore. How will that change the nature of what we used to think of as the traditional Oh, the warm and wonderful get to know people and eye contact is so great office environment. Bill, you're smiling. What do you think? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, it's been something else. You know, we uh, we used to think Zoom was just a little toy to use, and now you know <laughs> tens of millions of us find that it's part of our essential daily life. And you, uh, you know, we've we've had to really change our behavior. Uh, I I have a son that's uh, that's really frankly enjoying you know working from home. Because uh, you know he's 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 a self-proclaimed introvert, and he this is all fine by him. This is great, right? <laughs> but for some of us who you know are regional assets like Mike and I, you know we we oftentimes have conversations that start. So, what cities where are you flying to this week, or what cities will you be going to this week? And I think that corporate America is going to be a bit more judicious, and I know I personally am going to be in terms of, you know, hopping on an airplane, particularly, you know, pre-vaccine, pre but I think even post-vaccine, you know, there was a certain element of thinking, well, we just need to get on an airplane. And, you know, some meetings for sure, you're going to have to do that. We have so many of our customers that are very, very comfortable now having detailed conversations and very personalized conversations, just like we're having today right here. And, and it's fine by them. And, you know, uh, many of the companies we work with, you know, they are mindful of the fact that, you know, it costs money to get on an airplane and stay at a hotel room. And uh, you, you talk about an industry, the travel and leisure industry is going to go through a massive reorientation coming out of this uh, post-crisis. But for me personally, and for SAP, I can tell you, um, you know, we've managed to do very well in terms of shifting to a 
a remote work style. We're helping other companies do the same through some free trainings that we're offering. Um, I think it's just a really great opportunity to be a little bit more uh, thoughtful about how we come together, uh, a little bit more deliberate about how we spend our resources to do that. And, and when we need to, we absolutely need to come together and, and get work done. But I think it's going to give us a real opportunity to be more more reflective on how we engage in these relationships in the future. And Bill, I'm recalling so many times when I was scheduling guests for the SAP Game Changers radio shows and I would get a note from somebody or their admin saying, Bob is going to be in the air flying from country A to country B during the show and he won't be able to be on the air. And now it's, where would Bill Bob possibly be going, right? I mean, Mike, you and I probably get back maybe a half a day to a day now every week, at least, at least, at least. Mike, chime in, please. What do you think? So the digital work from home situation has, in certain respects, increased productivity for sure. Um, we, we and Captain Gem and I have done a tremendous job, very proud of ourselves for how quick, similar to our, our partners at SAP, flipped to a virtual work environment. But I think it's also kind of the heritage of, of some of the things that we do. Bringing this to an automotive environment, though, we make stuff. And when you make stuff, you got to be in a big building with big machines and so I think that we will see the preponderance of our industry go back to their physical spaces. Now, having said that, there are certain permanent conditions that will persist. Um, the idea that you can effectively work from home. So if you have a sick kid, you don't necessarily, maybe now you don't have to take that day off. I think we've proven that you probably can be effective working from home. Um, I think we will see um, companies maybe over time downsize some of their physical administrative spaces. Um, there may be a way to even share costs or the savings of, of you know, not having to buy that extra car for a family. Um, so there are certain benefits. And, and, I, and I, our, our CEO, uh, Paul, posted something on LinkedIn recently. Um, there's also going to be an impact, a positive one, I think, on the environment. Less vehicles driven, less gasoline burned, less jet fuel. Um, now, that does mean some some business, you know, a business impact for automotive and aerospace, but um, there can be some very interesting things that come out of this. My, my one caution for everyone, though, and, you know, we have virtual happy hours to try to maintain those relationships. As, as good as we've gotten on webcams and otherwise, you cannot replace sitting at a table with someone, sharing a meal, and having an intimate conversation about something. So, I think there still is a notion of uh, building that trusted relationship. I don't know that really can be uh, too strong over these digital airwaves. So I I still definitely see a need uh, to commune with one another in a physical sense. There's still a lot we miss in communication, even with webcam. Uh, You're still missing a lot of body language. You're still missing a lot of, you know, nuance and tone. Uh, So, all good stuff, but in our industry, I think we'll, we'll see us go back to work pretty, pretty, fairly quickly. Thank you both. I have a, a parting question for both of you. We didn't plan on this, but I'm going to throw out one word with a question mark. Bill Newman first and Mike Lakovic. Robotics. Robots. Bill, is there going to be a surge in investments in robots in factories? Well, perhaps not the robots you're thinking. I think that this is going to push the accelerator down a robotic process automation Mm -hmm. or the mundane 
kind of pre-analytic work preparation things like accounting and other basic scheduling um, to because then you can you can you can redeploy people who are available to work in much more meaningful applications. So absolutely from that perspective, you know, we're working with auto companies right now that are trying to figure out how to unlean manufacturing processes. And it's, you know, I grew up in the era of James Womack and the machine that changed the world and the Toyota production system. And no one would ever have considered that companies would be seriously looking at trying to become less productive. But, you know, they're having to deal with some micro environmental issues. And this is why. And, and maybe it's just how things are going to be moving forward that we're going to give each other a little bit more space and, and perhaps be a wee bit less integrated. But coming back to robots, I do think that there is a really great opportunity in RPA and artificial intelligence and other areas, more, more the logical robots as opposed to physical. Thank you, Bill. Mike, you get the last word on this. Robots and RPA, what do you think? I certainly hope this is a catalyst to accelerate RPA. I think there is clear, there's clearly an opportunity. Um, we've seen too many, too many small examples have fantastic results not to double down or triple down on these opportunities. Uh, I think where we, where we apply them, we still need to be selective. And I think, you know, back to Bill's point, this is, this is not a panacea. But there are certain areas, whether it's on a shop floor or just administrative sort of repetitive processing where RPA can help us create, I'm going to build off his concept a bit, that flexibility. We mm -hmm. talked in our last episode of, you know, we were talking supply chain planning. Have we become dependent on that level of finite planning and lean manufacturing to the point where we don't have flexibility any longer? We don't have buffer. Yes, we all know we can create buffer stock. We know that, but in terms of process buffer, and if we do automate some of these processes, particularly the repetitive ones, you may have bought yourself flexibility in a different process somewhere else where maybe automation is, is too, many, too difficult, too many scenarios. Um, so I certainly hope that we do see an acceleration of that, and particularly on areas that we know and we've proven can be automated pretty successfully. Absolutely. Thank you. Glad I brought it up. Bill Newman at SAP. Always a pleasure. I always learned so much from you, Bill. Thank you for your words of wisdom and your wonderful insights and your joie de vivre about this industry. And Mike Lakovic, equally, thank you. Appreciate your time. And I will tell you both that after years of being on phone calls and never seeing people's faces, that Zoom and other video conferencing is a treat for me because I get to look into their eyes. Whereas, Bill, you know, at SAP, years and years and years of just everybody hopping on the phone and now we get to see people. So that is a, a sidebar. I want to thank OESA so much for inviting Bill Newman and Mike Lakovic back to talk with me. I've enjoyed it immensely. We covered a lot of territory. And for those of you who are members and those of you who are not yet members of OESA, OESA.org. Go take a look. You'll learn a lot and let us know what's on your mind. Bonnie D. Graham signing off for OESA's Automotive Insiders Podcast. Everybody wave. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Automotive Insiders, presented by OESA. 
Listen at your convenience to industry thought leaders as they discuss the ever-evolving industry and how companies can thrive in the new mobility landscape. All episodes are on demand on the Voice America Business Channel and at OESA.org. Automotive Insider is presented by the Original Equipment Suppliers Association.